Hi, I'm Justin King, and welcome to the Blue Chip Academy. As a five-star recruit, all-Big Ten corner, NFL vet, and Power 5 recruiting coordinator, I understand the emotions that go along with the recruiting process. The Blue Chip Academy is here to provide education, critical insights, and mentorship through the recruiting process for families and athletes alike. When athletes and their families have proper education and guidance, they're able to make better decisions and set themselves up for long-term success. Blue Chip Academy provides the resources and information that empowers athletes to create their own blue chip blueprint and take ownership of their careers. Blue Chip Academy exists because when athletes and their families are armed with the right information, they're able to make the decisions for themselves that positively impact their future. Again, I'll be your host, Justin King, and welcome to Blue Chip Academy. Yeah, welcome back to the Blue Chip Academy 2023. I guess this episode will be coming out in the new year, but we got a special guest, man. Six-year NFL pro, former Tennessee volunteer, still getting, I don't know if he's still in the record books in Louisiana in the track in the uh, track and field sector, but uh, national champion coach for the eighth grade football team in the FBU circuit, you know what I mean? So, like, congrats on that. Congrats on that, man. Let's welcome Jonathan Wade. How you doing, man? I'm doing good. And, and to correct your earlier question, um, three-time record holder still to this day in Louisiana. Don't do that. Still to this day? Still to this day. Bro, that's impressive. I, I can't hold you. Like, like, Louisiana state record holder in track and field. And what's that, 20 years ago? I don't want to date you too about much. Yeah, 2002, for sure. Yeah, there was a kid that there was a kid that almost broke the two hundred record. He's currently at LSU, and I think he just won the four hundred hurdles. And he's like a sophomore. He was the second. He was the closest person to breaking the two hundred record. Oh, for real? Yeah, named Sean Burrell. Shout out to Squirrel. <laughs> okay, shout out. So, so just for the people that are listening, man, what are some of the times? What are the records in? Uh, the fifty five. When we get into the stuff about the. Rec- Cause we get into the recruiting process and you start talking about getting offers, just give a baseline. Yeah, for sure. The, the 55, which they don't currently run anymore. Um, is a six twenty two. Oh the, man. Um, People don't know that. Man, what's give me the hundred, 200. <laughs> Whatever. It don't matter if they know it or not. That's a record still standing to the day. Was, uh, <laughs> 10.21 at the time. It was the seventh yeah. <laughs> ever ran by a high schooler at the time. 1021? 1021 was the seventh fastest time in the history of the 100 at the time. Oof. The 200 was 20.58. 20.58. 20.58. In high school? In high school. Broke the, broke my previous record in the 200 from the year before at 21.03 into a negative headwind. Bro, I, I, I'll run it down for you. Oh man, so you so you listen listen up, we got a track and field guy and we'll get into the coaching aspect of everything, but Wade is focused and uh specialized on the skill development aspect at that seventh to eighth grade range, which is very innovative at the time. Just is football culture, right? I mean, outside of quarterbacks, a lot of times we talk about oh, there's a emphasis on just the athletic development so we'll get into that but somebody with that type of speed in the background so i'm gonna stun a little bit because like at the combine i ran 431 and way ran 437 so he never could hold those records over me but let's and i get it hey i mean hey man hey listen i can't say anything about that you did 
I'm not gonna mention the fact that you know I was told to to gain weight because it would look better, you know, to the scouts, you know, which is kind of stuff that goes on in that time. Not gonna mention that I was almost two hundred pounds, you know. You know, I'm not going to mention how much I kind of worked on the 40, actually, you know, because, you know, it was God-given. But, hey, man, you ran that 40. Oh, okay, bro. okay. Hey, we can stay there, not manufactured. I'm cool, I'm cool, I'm cool. So, man, let's jump into it, man. So, coming up in Louisiana, mm -hmm. I'm Shreveport, right? So, that's basically East Texas right, a little sure. bit. Well, the high school, you went to a pretty pretty famous high school. What was the name of it? Evangel Christian Academy. Like this many people were Evangel there. Christian. This many people was there. I graduated 88 <laughs> people in my class, 88, and four of them I had never seen. 88 them. people. 88 people, and four of them I saw the first time at graduation day. So that's that's wild because I, I found out, well, I mean, I was a kid of AD in high school because I kind of knew about the top high schools in the country, but you guys were a top high school because, if I'm, correct me if I'm wrong, John David Booty was you was your uh, one of your quarterbacks yes. at your school, right? My senior year, absolutely. Yeah, so – during the time that I was coming out, you know, that was one of the first uh, prospects that made a decision to go and enroll in school early. And I was like, early, what's, right? What's that about? Like, yeah, yeah, like, what's that about? Good. And it was like the school, uh, you know, your school, Evangel Christian down there. And, you know, after you guys had put a lot of different guys, I can't name off some of the prospects off the top of my head. 11. Who was that culture? In my senior class. So you guys graduated 88 people and then you put 11 D1 players out your senior year. Plus, plus Sophia Young, who went to Baylor and won a national championship in um, women's basketball. Ah, uh, okay, okay, Evangel Christian, y'all got some. Okay, East Texas, Shreveport. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's interesting, man. We talk, no, so you we talked about. I mean, obviously the track background and different things of that nature. Did you play any other sports when you were coming up, or was it just pretty much track football? I was the most. Natural at baseball, believe it or not. I don't know if I've ever even told you that. That's what I did the best. It was just super boring. It was boring. Um, and I felt like my speed worked against me as a kid because people wanted me just to get on base and steal. And I wanted to hit and pitch and do all the other stuff. But they just wanted to use the speed part of it, which made it boring in a weird way. So I didn't stick with it. I, play, I, I, I stuck with it all the way through my sophomore year in high school. I got asked about it at, um, at Tennessee by the baseball team. I did one radio show, and they asked the baseball team ganged up on me and asked me if I wanted to come out and play. And there was just no way I was. I, mean, I had a sour taste in my mouth. But now the bags they get, oh my gosh, I was so dumb. <laughs> now that happens to a lot of guys that are coming up in the baseball culture. I think that they, whether it's just not feeling comfortable, the older you get in the baseball culture, right? Or like you said, it gets boring. The older you get, the better you are, the better pitchers are coming, the less balls that are coming in the outfield. You know, you hit five like out golf, of 10 probably. balls. It's just the same thing over and over and over. Yeah, at least golf, you're swinging. If you saw it, you're at least swinging 100 plus times. So like you're, you're going <laughs> after it. Yeah, I mean, That's and, true. And baseball, man, because trust me, I played baseball and I was sorry. I was, I was sorry in baseball every year I played. It was, I don't know if it was just a character building thing that my people put me in, but I was good one time and it was because uh, the way that the, the ages fell, right? Yeah. So I was like, I was a May birthday. So I was always playing with like a little older kids. You know, baseball is a skill development sport. Like it wasn't like I was putting in crazy time in the outfield batting and things of that in that realm or whatever. But yeah, it was it was a it was a humbling experience that you had to continue to work on and just to feel uh, development. But the one time that I did play, I will say the one time that I played with my own age group, I was like 12, 13 or something like that. And I bought out. It was like a whole uh, it was a whole tournament season. And it was actually 
when the my recruiting process happened, I told the story early, but I was running bases, like you said, the speed. Yeah. One of the high school yeah. coaches was in the area and was like, hey, sure. I think you should come out and, you know, come to this high school and play football for real because we have some speed and different things sure. that, that you're showing on the baseball diamond. But I got connected to my high school from baseball first. Really? Yeah, I wasn't supposed to run track at my school. I just went out there because my friends was out there for real. I was supposed to be out there playing baseball and football. Interesting. I didn't. Yeah. I, I, I didn't realize that. So when you got to Evangel Christian and you started playing, like when did your recruiting process kind of get picked up? Start for me as a high school athlete. For you, so as a high school athlete. Man, my junior year, I was late. I wasn't like everybody else, but there was so much of it around always because. Um, you remember Brock Berlin, um, just USA Today. Uh, he was my quarterback for two years. So the recruiting was always around my school. So it was always in your face as a young guy. And man, I didn't play until my sophomore year either. You didn't just play on our team. Ah, so you were, okay. So you were in that culture where you had to kind of wait your turn. Absolutely. To, to on the field. I started one year in high school every game. One year every game straight. And that was my senior year. I got some backstories to that, but like, I, yeah, one full but, year. So what? So hold up. So you're running ten two, you're running ten two hundred meters and oh, 20, twenty point after after that. The ten two. I'm saying if you, I, I'm <laughs> just saying if you're hitting those type of numbers, you should be running something close. I, if you run a ten six, ten seven, at one point you had to run ten seven, ten eight early. Like if you run a ten two, so I mean y'all just had speed out the wazoo, or like, what, what was the deal with you not getting any burn until? Ooh, You're senior private year. Private school, private school, and eighty-eight Kalahali. people. Say what? With eighty-eight people? Yeah, bro. Just with the, we had a system and we had people in place, but it was a private school and it wasn't necessary. You know, it was. Let me see. How can I say this? It was. You were gonna play depending on how you know who you were and stuff like that. Who your family was to the to the team and stuff like that. And I didn't fall into that, and I was. Behind people that I, I was told after my junior year by my defense, I was told after my junior year that the reason that I did not play was because they wanted to give some other kids some chances to get a scholarship. I mean, it still happens today. Even some some kids that uh, I consult with in the Blue Trip Academy and one of my coaching programs, you guys check that out. Hit me up if you're interested. But going through the process and like hearing from a it's like a quarterback dealing with an older uh, a quarterback in front of him that's a senior that's trying to get an opportunity but I guess he's clearly the better quarterback from talent standpoint from a future standpoint but the head coach is concerned about um the senior and that's like and that's crazy because that's a that's a that's a that's a pretty impactful dynamic in high school football I don't know if it I mean, it's probably across all sports, but in football in general, where it's like, all right, take care of the seniors. And especially in high school, you see a lot with some of the highest ranked or most wins, um, most wins high school coach, coach was coach, most winningest coaches in high school don't typically put out the most prospects, which is interesting when you think about that versus some guys, if you look and see who puts a lot of guys into the college ecosystem versus or gets guys scholarships that don't that, that doesn't have the same type of winning percentages a scheme can, a scheme can win for you in high school like you can 100 a, a scheme can win for you in high school and then yep 
Yep, a scheme can win for you in high school, and at the same time, yeah. I mean, at the same time, it's a level of that, I can't even call it system building, but, like, what's the focus, right? Like, just being right, up right. close and personal. Like, up close and personal, I know my dad's focus, even at Gateway, right? He never won an actual championship there. But based on what he built, like, all around, I, I, I would argue to say it's probably more impactful than the places around the area that actually won championships, which is kind of interesting when you talk about putting guys into college giving them an opportunity to see, you know, the business up close and personal guys going to the pros and then got, and then the other coaches, like you said, the winningest coaches that, you know, put out a few guys here and there, but stack up the wins in high school at the same time. Right. Where it's just not really promoting. And it's just, it's kind of an interesting dynamic when you see that, because like you're saying that you were a 10 two guy that didn't play until high school. And it's just like, that was the culture, but that's like, that's the culture. A lot of places. I mean, one of my good friends here, uh, Steve Breston, he's a he's probably I would consider him the, probably the best player in the Western uh, Whitfield that I've seen up close or top three. I mean, you got Lavar, but um, he didn't play until like mid junior year, and it was like the program that they kind of had over there, and then it was like from there being the best. And it's just like, how does he not play, how's he not playing early, or why isn't that talent cultivated at an earlier age when you see special people, right? Because sometimes you do see these high school coaches that are system driven, like you said, where it's like, oh, it's about my system. South Lake Carroll, like, right? Like, I remember training some kids when I was in, living in Dallas, and they're running the same high school system in eighth and ninth grade that they're going to be running in high school. So it's not really about the individual. It's about the whole program. But that's a brainwashing or a thing of football, right? Sometimes. John David Booty was the, was the backup, I think, as an eighth grader because they ran the same stuff, and he was, you know, had the size. I mean, he was a – like, he, he went to a playoff game maybe with us. Nah, I mean, it's, I mean, it, it, I think it's interesting, right? Cause it's, I, I think it's the, it was the precursor to the beef of seven on seven coaches and high school coaches now, right? Cause it comes down to the influence that it has over the players. It's like, I, I don't need you anymore to get the college scholarship yeah, or I can go over here and have other advocates. So that's why you see a little bit of the beef there, but it's a controlled thing, but at the same time, you know, it's like the varsity blues story. <laughs> nah, nah. So when you first started getting recruited, bro, like, who was the who was the first offer? Oh, uh, ooh, Colorado. <laughs> Prime wasn't there, but yeah, yeah, interesting. Not not this one, <laughs> not this one right here, not this one at all. But yeah, it was a totally different Colorado, and then um, Southern Mississippi. Southern Miss. Mm -hmm. So you were uh, so you get your scholarship offer as a soft sophomore or junior year. Junior year was the first scholarship. I got four, I think. I think I had four by the end of by complete of my junior year. And so when did you know it was getting serious? I mean, obviously you get that offer. I mean, Tennessee's a pretty Tennessee's a pretty big that's a pretty wide gap between Southern Miss and Tennessee. Let take me through that process from you getting the first offers to Philip Fulmer giving you a, a chance to come down there. Alabama recruited me the heaviest. Like they just they poured out everything. I think I had a letter from Alabama. I you'll get this. I stopped opening letters from Alabama mid track season my junior year. I stopped opening them. <laughs> Why is that? I just because it was one every day and it was just like, you know, it you know when they just start sending it repetitively and it's just everything. I just stopped you just stopped opening them up unless they looked a certain way. You know what I'm saying? Um but my dad kind of let me know because I was ready to commit to Alabama because that was the first SEC team 
that came at me. And I was, bro, I'm from Shreveport, man. Like, let's go. Like, whatever you got for me, I'm, I'm about to take it. And let's jump on, you know, let's go. Um, but they were in trouble at the time. And I didn't know that. So this was back, uh, see, the, the Alabama that I had was pre-Nick Saban, way before that, you know. So um, they were trying to rebuild what they had, and it just wasn't the time to go to Alabama. I didn't know that. They were just the first SEC team that came. Um, then I went to a camp. So a coach from an assistant coach from my school at Evangel that we had just got um, went to Tennessee. He was like, uh, they got a camp up there, and if you want to go, I'd love to go back up there. I haven't been up there in a long time. Cool. We got the money. We paid for it. Me and, like, three of my homies, like, that played on the team, bust up to Tennessee. Uh, we go to the camp. Here's something to any campers that listen. I, um, it was a three-day camp. Those real boy, those real camps. Those are real three-day camps. <laughs> And it was, this isn't a Nike camp. This is a camp at the University of Tennessee with Coach Fulmer and his staff running the drills. Very important. There's a difference between camps and then going to a college camp. There is like, it's no comparison. All right. So, especially with that being you, said, like not to interrupt you, but with that being said, that is an interesting, that's a very valid point because with all the camps that are out here right now in the different circuits, there isn't anything more valuable than getting in front of a coach because it is a different workout. They're looking at different things. They're trying to break to see if you're in shape and you can be an unknown prospect. And regardless if you returned a phone call from a writer or you got beef with somebody in the circuit, you and that coach, I mean, you get a chance to show and shine out right in front of them. But my bad. Keep going. No, you're good. 1,000%. They get to put you, – you get to show them what you got. You show up in front of Nick Saban, 6'1", 205, and run a 4'3". It might not even matter if you played before. <laughs> this is true. So, like, you put – let them put their eyes on you. So, we go to the camp. I go play DB at the camp because that's all I really know at this point. Like, I, I, I haven't really played receiver. I know how to run routes, and I know I'm fast. But this is – this is after my junior year, right before I'm about to go overseas. Overseas for track. World Youth Championship. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So you got so you got the elite sports thing going in a couple of different sports. So like with you with that being said, were you were you like kind of excelling not kind of, I mean you're going overseas to run track. And with you excelling in track. How how did you view football? Like, were you just were you still doing that for fun, or did you feel like you had a dreams of being Olympian? Definitely had dreams of being Olympian. Um, so where did football fit in? It became secondary by my junior year. Not like it just just as my junior year went because I didn't play. I was playing receiver sometimes, playing DB sometimes. Mind you, the biggest game we had in high school was Brock Berlin's state championship game when we played against West Monroe. They call it the game of the century. 60,000 fans in the Superdome. Okay. They started 60,000? 60,000. They started my little sophomore behind. Okay. <laughs> Out the blue. First game I played all year. They just started me because they had a receiver that could go. So they just throw my fat. But then again, I don't play. Right out there. Yeah, I don't play. I don't know how, you know, I, I don't play my junior year at corner. I don't start. I don't start at receiver. I'm just this fast kid that can go, but just out here. Okay. How'd that end up? Uh, let's go back to the camp. 
Nacho, I'll tell you. <laughs> Let's go back to the camp. So I get to the camp and I go play DB. They got us doing drills and stuff, and it's cool. And we don't really do any one on any type of competitive type of drills versus receivers or anything like that, though, in the first half because it's two it's two days for three days. Camp. Let's go to camp. <laughs> uh, um. So I get mad. I see a coach talking to a, a dude I know in the DB group. Don't know who this coach is. Just see him getting talked. Um, see him getting talked to instantly. Triggered. Let's uh, like I am pissed off. Like how you not talking to me? I know I was doing. You know my mind. You know I'm not saying anything. I'm just like tripping. Like yo. So I don't go back to DB no more that day. <laughs> so I'm gonna show you. I went to receiver the second half of the day. I'm gonna leave you with this. We did one-on-ones. They asked me to come back to DB because I kept killing her. That's This is the day I got the scholarship. Day one, I got the scholarship offered out the three-day camp. Oh, so it was cake the rest of that? After that, after you get after you get anointed with the offer, it's like, it's easy money. <laughs> Chris Leak was there, the quarterback, okay. from, went to Florida. His receiver, that was the number one receiver in the country at the time as a junior, was also there. So it was a stack, stack with stacked with talent. They, and I'm an unknown person, but just dog, bro, at a camp in front of the coaches. So you the number one receiver. I got your quarterback throwing me routes, and I'm covering you. You are the measuring stick for me, and you don't even know. So for that, for all these things happening, right? So you obviously you had a competitive fire in you because you saw the kid getting talked to you, end up getting a scholarship right there at Tennessee. So let's transition into finish your senior year. You get to Tennessee, and it's like, all right, now you're back into another different, another culture, right? Because I think it's a benefit to work through those growing pains in a high school like system where you have to kind of get through and earn your chance to start. Like I started as a freshman day one in high school, day one in college. And not to say that it's, you know, that's like that was what people want, but I do recognize like there's a level of callous in working up a depth chart that I ran into certain points in my career where it was like a different, yeah. it puts you in a different mode. Yeah, it's like sure. a different, like I, I my back against the wall, like yeah, whatever, sure. you, we'll get to it later. You know, when I had the injuries with Spag and he put all that different stuff. But it's interesting because when you got the, Tennessee, man, you guys were loaded with talent there as well. So can you talk to me a little bit about that entry point into like the SEC, Tennessee, coming from somewhere like Shreveport, had a track background. You're going to a place, I mean, with a top track program at uh, Tennessee Volunteers on football and track. Talk to me a little bit about that transition in. Well, I was instantly a track guy when that when when that wasn't cool. Like that was tough. Like the entire so, time. like, so you came in as the prospect was like, I right, we don't know how what kind of skills he has, but we know he's fast, bro. Did you you supposed to be super fast? Like any any DB that like, bro. My first rep when I got there in the summer was against a linebacker that was already in the league, right? You know they want to show off because it's it's seven on seven in in the in the indoor facility where the boys is in town, right? And the and right, new right. cats just get here. You know the vibe I'm talking about. 100%. I get a linebacker that want to come cover me. Like, you know, they, everybody waiting to the bro. As soon as I take my eyes from seeing the ball snap to see him, bro, his hand all in my neck. I can't even breathe. Everybody laughing. I'm the little fast guy, dog. The little, bro, I'm 164 pounds soaking wet. Word. Don't word, miss word. me, though. 
Don't miss. I ended up starting my freshman year as a receiver at the end of the year. Really? Yeah. How was that? How that season end up for you guys? Bro, I almost said something I was gonna regret. Um, we went to a bowl game. Went to a bowl game. So it's one of those. Peach bowl. Guys, went to the peach bowl. You guys had you guys had talent, man. We'll jump a little bit too because we played we played uh, the Tennessee Volunteers my sophomore year. Ways that was probably Ways senior year. And I remember, man, I had a had a little bit of a breakout season my sophomore year. You know, we had some nice statistical games. I remember us throwing on the film, and they had Robert Meacham that year. He was a first round pick, ended up being a first round pick. And they turned on that joint. It was like straight highlight tape. I was like, man, what is this? Like three two fifteen. Right it all over the place, man. But it was interesting because we felt like you, t- you think about building an organization or building teams and just the identity that people will fall into, whether it's a high school head coach that leans on his system versus a high school coach that's like got talent that I'm going to put into college, into the pros or whatever. We knew coming into the play against Tennessee that like, all right, we got athletes, but I mean, we like, we just kind of prided ourselves in being tough and just sound and sound football. And so we played you guys. You were out there in different, you know, you guys played a good game. But at one point, it was just like the physicality of our running back, Tony Hunt, started wearing on you guys. What was the, what was just the perspective? I'm always interested in hearing, like, how SEC teams viewed Big Ten teams when we were about to come and play at the bowl game. Tony Hunt. Tony Hunt's the perfect for me for sure. Like he's the perfect, he's the perfect definition of Big Ten football. He is with Tony Hunt, Puzlowski. Uh, uh, <laughs> butcher my man's name, man. Puzz. Uh, Paul, my bad. He was a ball. Puzz, man. Just Puzz. call him Puzz. Say it for me. <laughs> Say it for me. Puzz Lucy. Oh, right. I never would have said it like that. My bad. I didn't mean. I tried. I gave a good effort, but yeah, you guys were just the type of that's not going to wear gloves in the bad weather. He he didn't have gloves on in that nasty game. That was cold and rain. He just was out there just nasty, like he didn't care. Two hundred thirty pounds. See, like Foster was big for us, but like he was. I I remember he came to the Senior Bowl. I was mad. <laughs> I had a gash on my face after the game, and I wore a visor. Like, I, I have no idea how I got a gash on my face trying to tackle him. I remember it was a physical game. I remember on the sidelines on the defense, we were like, oh, I think they quit. Like, mid-third quarter. Because it's like, you guys, had a lot, you guys had a lot of draft prospects. This is prior to guys sitting out yeah, of sure. bowl games. Because, like, if that, was, if that was today's age, none of y'all would have been playing. None yeah, of you guys would have been. Y'all might have had, like, 20 guys sitting out. Because they were all out there getting out the way. Tony was coming through. Bob, let me get out of here. He just want to go straight, bro. He want to go straight at his speed. He don't want to go fast. He just want to go at this pace straight ahead. Oh, my gosh. No, that just, I mean, I remember that bowl game. Because it just brought, not a lot of realities, but just the interesting dynamics of the different teams. Like, going out. Just, like, the vibe of the squads. Like, you guys had, like, a... Like, like, I mean, I'm gonna say like rap, like, like rap stars, but y'all was just kicking it. Like, y'all had sweatsuits. We had to be dressed in, like, just, like, whatever the case may be. Like, so going into, like, so you guys had like a lot of that influence. I mean, you're right outside of Atlanta or whatever. Bingo. So going into your pre draft process, take, let's, let's go into that a little bit. Like, what was your expectations going into that, 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 that interview process of the combine? Oh, let me take you where it started, bro. It started my fr- going to the bowl games, yo, as a freshman. 
Well, we used to show up to the bowl game. I can say all this now because it's it's like I'm out of school and yeah. stuff. But <laughs> that's what we talk about. We get some good content. Yeah. We might get some views out of it. You going, know what I mean? Let going, these people going as a freshman and pulling up like the moment, the night you get there because you're about to be there for a week. And uh, my first two uh, bowl games were in Atlanta, and we would stay at the out of former would put us at the hotel connected to Lenox Mall, like adjacent to smack together. The one like we don't go outside. We just go through the down the escalator and we in the Lenox Mall. <laughs> oh my gosh. And so when we when you pull up though, the amount of like limousines and car services and agents and all of this that are just sitting outside dapping up people and ready to go take you out on the city as a freshman you don't know what you're looking at you just see the boys just hopping in and they they, they about to go kicking you you know you want to go and you know there's the beginning of it there's the that's that's real. I never even thought about that scene because that is a scene. Like it, it, you guys probably had a different scene at Tennessee than we did at Penn State because Joe was like he was anti agents. He was anti professional football to an extent, right? Like just like just what just kind of what it, it did for the whole program. He knew that we had special players that could go there, but like agents would they would have to get to him how they get to him. But with that being said, our first one was in Atlanta, and you know, you said we had a lot of we we had a lot of high profile guys. But you start seeing the agents floating around. You see, you're like, hey, wait, getting bottles? They doing what? But that's like, because even for me, my, I mean, my agent, I, I knew him since I was like sixth, seventh, eighth grade, yeah. and like just like that process and how it goes. But it's always interesting hearing when that first glimpse is for a player because everyone talks about the high school recruiting process. But no one really talks about the agency recruiting process and like how much of an impact that part of your career or that selection has on the rest of your career, right? Because whether it's how you're going through the pre-draft process, how you're developing in the NFL, right? Staying on point and different stuff, making the connections that you need to make outside of the game. Just the transition point. It's a, it's a lifelong career. Yeah, it's a friendship that's supposed to last friendship. I mean, it's a business. It's a friendship, but it's a business relationship. Right. But this is somebody that a lot of people get introduced to three to four months before that time happens. But you're saying like you're introduced to the allure of just what that agent brings in the bowl game in Atlanta, hopping in the car service, getting the bottles, going to the shake, doing and all that start, stuff. And you start seeing these people now more frequent. Some of these same people live it up in Atlanta, show you that spotlight in Atlanta. And now just you start to recognize them a little bit more when we out in the club in Knoxville. Uh, so now I know you. Now, yeah. yeah. <laughs> now I see you balling. I see that play you made today. Yeah, yeah. You know now you now and it's this is two. They're grooming you. It's <laughs> like it's two three years in the making before you even got. But that's how it, that bro. It, it is. It's a and now you're you're looking at you're learning the agent process from this different way. Uh huh. Versus like what it's the purpose of it really is like later on. But that's how I was introduced to it at Tennessee. And that's it. I mean, because that's the same thing that that's the same recruiting tactics that they're going to use against high school guys now, because the same point of monetization of what they really want is the SRA at the end of your at the end of your college days. I mean, NIL money is a little bit here and there and then some guys get the big ones. Right. But a lot of it's trying to just kind of trying to show you the value that they have or the value that they can provide you. Right. But really we can get into the structure of the agent and them getting guaranteed money every year. But I, I mean, not that they shouldn't get their money. I feel like 
you should have to work for your money though, right? Like every year, right? It's not just a matter of that first contract. It's like, all right, what do I need to get better at this year? All right, if I'm hurt this year, how are you going to make sure that I'm healthy next year? Like support me throughout my whole way. And we know that that's a lacking thing for a lot of ages. I can't speak for all, but it's a, it's a growing concern because we'll get into all that stuff. But so when you're going through the pre-drive process, I mean, is there any critical changes, right? When you get, you sign with your agent, you're going through the pre-draft. Are you excited about the draft or are you just kind of living it up? No, I was excited about the draft. I was excited about everything. Um, I was excited about the combine. I was excited about the senior bowl. See, the senior bowl was going to be great for me. I'm a competitive person and I want to show you that I'm not who you think I am. You know that about me. Like I want to prove to you that I'm not this track guy. And if you're going to give me a stage where you have brought the best people in, See, to me, this is now a track meet. Okay. <laughs> yeah, this is a track meet. This is, I don't want to go to a track meet where the heat ain't at. I line me up with the best 10, the best eight. Let's put us all in the heat and let's go. Looking so, for the smoke. Yeah, okay. Smoke. Yeah, so you always had the competitive, yeah. That's my advantage because you're going to have to outdo me. Plus, I got this for whatever I need to bring out the bag. Um. So yeah, I was always excited, man. Um, I didn't stop. I didn't stop being excited until the draft. <laughs> I was just, just, just probably the draft. I was excited all the way up because I unfortunately started reading newspaper clippings, which was the absolute worst thing to do. Um, Pre-draft guys, man, stay away from that. Stay focused yeah, on your craft and just go it doesn't after matter. it. It just is. It just it doesn't matter. I saw people get paid. After, that got drafted after me. I saw people get paid before me, like meaning the timing of it before my contract. It's just, it just doesn't get matter. You just need to get your foot in the door and pray that you get with the right team, with the right system that can help you multi, like build your NFL game and give you time to do that and go ball. That's all you can hope for. I mean, that's so true, man, because like coming into it, like you, you want to be slated in a heat lane four or five so you can get some guaranteed money just in case. But that staying power in the NFL has so much to do with like the organizational structure, how good you guys are, what's your coach looking like, how did they really want you? Like did your did position coach want you? Was it a person? Was it a coaching decision? Was it a personnel decision? Because like in all that, you kind of get mixed into it, right? So like yeah. these are some... These are some real things about, you know, just throughout the football business. What would be the main, the most impactful lesson that you learned from like the football business and the realities of it from just college and the NFL? Mm. This may not be the most impactful one, but this is probably, this is going to be a good one for this show. Um, the way you study as a student is the way you're going to study as a player. Your study habits are going to show. If you study crappy, if you procrastinate, if you wait to the last second, you're going to do all that when you get to the league. Most that's, that's, that's real. Yeah, for sure. That's, that's real. Like, if you, that's, that's real. I never. I, it's the same you, thing. 
Because we yeah. sit, we sitting in school too, you know, the entire time. What most people don't know, we only on the field two hours out of them eight hours that we there. Um, we're in class taking notes, and then, so it's just not only they're not giving you a lot of notes. It's the notes that you take that you now got to go study to. <laughs> you know, they give you the DVDs and stuff, but you have to like whatever study habits you have created throughout your life. This is what you're going to use to become great. Did you feel like you had? Sufficient study habits? Oh my gosh, to? no. I wish I was the way I am now. <laughs> like, I wish it. Well, I have no problems. That's, but that's part of why I am the way I am with the kids. Right. Because I know, you know, some, we can cut some corners if I can get some certain stuff into you tattooed in your mind right now. We can shave some time off. Oh my There's gosh. some certain things we can just shave some time off, man. So with that being said, what are some things that popped up for you there where you were like, man, I need to, I need to, Tighten up these study habits because I will say, you know, yeah, let me hear you and I'll follow up with what I had to say. Go ahead. Some things that I that I realized I, I need. You said, what was your question again? Repeat the question. Some when you realized that you needed to tighten up your study habits. When like, did I realize? I mean, I lot, yeah, oftentimes in football, you don't. I mean, we know that guys just go around making plays growing up, and it's like, all right, I don't really need to listen to that, right? And I always said, I always used to use that as an advantage for me because. Again, I always say this, I'm a coach's kid. I mean, I think it was my greatest advantage growing up and who my dad was, not, and not just a normal coach, but somebody who had real intricate understanding of it, how I approached the game, how coaches think about it, just just a full spectrum of how to approach this game of elite sports in general. And just that aspect of gaining trust, right? Just growing up, and like I used to have a problem with coaches listening to them versus doing what I can do athletically. He's like, man, you do what they tell you to do in practice. And then in games, you do this. And then like him becoming my coach and like being coached that way. Right. And the biggest thing he used to say, the most important thing he used to say is like, you got to earn a coach's trust before. When did you hear that court. line? Do what you were told at practice. And when did you hear that? What, how old were you? I mean, 10, bro, I didn't 11, get that college, bro. I'm saying 11. Line, I didn't get that until college. That line. But it was like, but it was like just to clarify, but it was almost from the standpoint of him telling me to, yo, okay, the coach can only tell you to do so much, but you gotta make something happen outside of that. But the dynamic, the 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 genius part was at 10 years old, but listen to him in practice. Yeah. Score it score in the game though. First. Score first. First, before anything, like listen to him in practice. But then when you do this on the game, trust me, but you gotta score and you gotta trust it. When, when yeah. you see it at this time, because the number one thing with any coach is a level of trust, right? Like it's because when their backs against the wall, it's like, man, I need people. I need prospects or players to be in the place that I'm calling. If I call a blitz, like I need them to hit it this way. I need this guy to be in this zone. I don't care if he's good or not, but if I can, because if he's not going to be there, I mean, I'm going to get fired and I'm, I'm not, I'm no longer a good coach. And then that's what they care about first. And then can you make a play within how they're coaching you? And that was always, I used to use that as a, I'm, I'm wrapping this all around. So I used to use that going through the ecosystem as a competitive advantage for me when I identified players that didn't do that. And you and were you one of those players play that did that. You. But that. you were a player that did that, but you made a lot of plays. But, but like, I, I, I remember. Is, I'm agreeing with you with saying that. That's such a golden, that's a golden rule as a young athlete. And I mean young you can be a drafted player and you're still young in the NFL. Can you make a play the way I'm coaching you to first? Ooh, can you make it first, bro? Because, I mean, 
Because I'll tell the story. When I got to the league, man, Wade, I got to give a good, big shout out. Because, like, you know, everyone knows, like, when you get to the NFL, it's like swimming with sharks. Everybody's looking for their next payday. Everybody's trying to cut people at the knees. People don't really help. But, you know, Wade was somebody that kind of reached out and helped me as soon as I came. I came in the league at 20 years old, which people don't realize. I was I was a young buck coming into the league. Wet behind the ears still. Hey, you know what I mean? Young buck, still a college swag. And, you like know, I Wade know. and all the boys, Bassy, shout out to Bass and all the guys. Yeah. You know, yeah, Bartel, all the guys like kind of looked out for me and kind of showed me the way. And just I always appreciate Wade because he was like the first person. And the first thing that you told me was all your mess ups, right? Like, man, don't do this. I spent my money on that. Don't do this. And I really appreciated it, man. So like even with everything going on and we started getting into it, you heard like Hazlitt and different things and just the coaching points that they were telling you like, wait, you got to do this or make sure you motion on cover too. And then you would go out there and you might not do it, but then you'll make a pick. Like, do this, they'll make like you made so many splash plays. I was like, that. And I was like, well, these dudes like keep telling them correct stuff. So, like, I guess I'm just gonna do everything textbook and just wait. <laughs> yeah, it didn't. It, it was, it was, you had to be one or the other there. You had to be a guy who they could absolute trust or the Trayvon Diggs guy. And but it, it's almost, isn't that like, isn't that football though? Like, you have yeah. to kind of identify like your coach and who you are to an extent and like what they're looking for. I mean, obviously, you lead with trust first, but it's like, because, yeah, yeah. like even with that being said, Steph like, Curry to take that, you got to, you can you, can you truly imagine coaching Steph Curry taking some of those shots as his coach, like wanting to play to be, you know, like you want things to be organized and he just does that crap, you know, like. Once you see it, we probably see it a hundred times in practice. But you still probably cringe every time, like every time. Not, 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 not they keep going in. Could you? Could you, bro? Could you be Andy Reid watching Patrick Mahomes look dead at you on the sideline and throw a ball? In I think the field? that's a. I, 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 this is a great point that you're touching on, is because we're going to get into your coaching stuff. But I think that's a level of talent management that certain coaches have and certain coaches don't. It's like recognizing that there's only a level of uh, there's only a certain level of control that you have with special players that's anyway. True. So, like, it's not whether they do good based on you or bad based on you. And a lot of them, when they start, but, but they trust them first, they know that it's going to happen. When we played, remember we played Aaron Rodgers that first time, and we were like, what is this? Like, it's like, and like, this, you know what I'm saying? Like, the same thing the coaches were probably saying. But, I mean, it was, it was just things that we never seen on the defense, whether it was the way he was scrambling, breaking the pocket, throwing the ball all over the place. Do you instantly trust that crazy player? Do you like there's a coach and do you know, do you know his freshman year when he comes in? Do you know he's, do you know he's rare his freshman year? I think talent, I think talent shines through, right? I think when you start talking about as like, athletes doing special things on the field where it's kind of different, I, I think that's when you see someone's talent match up with the mental aspect of the game and it starts to slow down and they're trying, trying different things. Not even, it's maturity, but it's, I mean, it's maybe it's not as maturity. It's a level. Of, it's just like pure confidence, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas mm -hmm. I know exactly what I can do. I'm playing against little boys, and I'm going to do whatever I feel like doing. Like, it's it's more of that mentality than I think it is. I'm a, like, I'm just out here wilding. Like, I think, like, even, I think Aaron Rodgers and just different people that make crazy plays, I think they're under control in their mind. Like, I think so, too. Like, you know what I mean? Like, and I think coaches that deal with them, are used to it because there's a level of trust. Cause a lot of those people, a lot of those guys that are like that are typically sound across the board. Like 
in other areas, right? Yeah, like, that's true. Like, yeah. Because like when you talk about the talent, like there's a level of talent. Like when we get back to the talent management piece, certain coaches aren't comfortable with talented players that are just so talented that you don't know what they may do. Right. And even if they make a good play, they're just so afraid of that player making a bad play or it's just not being. I mean, not the 30 by the bus, but like, you know, Michael Parsons only played a limited amount of snaps as a freshman because sometimes wasn't in the right spots, regardless of how great he was. Right. And that's sometimes that's a faulty. That's a, that's an error. Right. You just let people kind of figure it out. But there's levels well, to what it. What do you do, though, with the Michael Parsons? Because I, it look, right now it still looks as if it's worth him making his mistakes. That he's gonna. I mean, make. that's what I'm. But I think that I think talent doesn't develop if you doesn't if you don't let talent develop. And that's the only true. way talent develops is by playing. And that's like a. I mean, that's a thing with coaches, and that's just a coaching philosophy in general. Where it's like, do I want everybody that I trust to know where they're going to be, or do I am I going to be okay with different mistakes and moving forward? Like that's built in a program in college. Though, if I'm gonna have a freshman in my program that's going to, I know he's going to be the guy. Like I gotta let him get the kinks out to see if he's the guy faster than, than, than later. <laughs> you know what I mean? Sooner than later. Like I think that's the that becomes the approach. Like I mean, because even with, like with that being said, because I mean we talk about the different realities that come in the NFL. I mean another uh, lesson that I, I mean kind of was learned from you, man. You had that second year in camp. Uh, I, you had probably one of the best camps that I've seen. Like, yeah. and a, from a from a football player, and I was like, you know, I'm second year. I'm like coming off a toe injury. I'm like, oh dang, all right. Like, I mean, I always evaluated. Even yeah. it's probably a it's probably a negative thing to me because I I got you. that two things objectively. But I was like, man, he had the best camp. Period. Right. So you come out starting, and I was playing nickel and all that stuff, and then there was like a a rotational change where you got sat down like week four or five. And I was like super, I was like confused because I was one of those people that was, again, coach's kid, where it's like, oh, if someone's sitting down, it's their fault. Like they did something, they got beat out and they're just like, the coach doesn't like them. Yeah. There's no way that you could like literally be better like the whole way and get, get sit down. And yeah. that was like a reality check for me. It was like, oh, this is the business. Oh, this is the guy they drafted. Oh, this isn't a guy that did this. Oh, oh, that doesn't matter. Oh, <laughs> Lock in, dog. Like then, then the next week, uh, I mean, the week before, then the starting quarter got when Fakir got fired. I was like, just a whirlwind. But it was just I hated this. I mean, I'm using you as an example, no, but did, bro. it was the it was like that time of seeing it where I was like, my man, balling. Like I, I don't really. How did you How did you handle that? Uh bro, I don't know. God, um, at the time, <laughs> yo, my brother asked me one time, um, at like, uh. He said, bro, how did you go to work every day? And I really, I, and when he asked me that, I didn't have an answer. I was just getting up and going. And a lot of it, was, bro, so you got to imagine what I went through in high school. Yeah, but that's what I, it kind of built up. Yeah. To extent, right? Like you like waited your turn in high school. You got to college. You kind of waited your turn and you played and did your thing. Bro, I started one full league. season in college too. One full season So that's what I'm school, saying. And you get, you get to the you get to the league and it's like you're working up and then now this is like your this is like your third or fourth year and now this is your this was your go. We here, bro. We here. We here. And you was you were showing up. <laughs> you were you showing up. Oh, like, oh. How did, like seriously because these are these these are type of stories that I think people don't realize that like can derail a career and or really put you or, or really put you in a, a mental space where you're like uh, how do how do I pivot from this or how do I bounce back and get my confidence back? So like take me through that a little I bit. I just please. had my son. 
all that. Life is happening. You're a professional football player, but you're a grown man living life. Yeah. So talk to me a little bit about That's that. You're tough. having a good season statistically, like breaking passes up, whatever. They um, sit you down. How do you how are you how you go? I'm confused. That? I don't have an answer. It's a long season. It's the NFL. I keep hearing this business. I don't get an answer from the coach until week fourteen. He sits me down because I just don't even dress because at this point they just bringing in more DBs, which is just a complete slap in the face. <laughs> like, what did I do, you know, to put me in this situation? Here's another thing that I had to continue my career with. Every time I went somewhere, they wanted to know what landed me in that situation in St. Louis. Bro, I ain't got no answer. Every place I went wanted to know. Bro, when I got to Miami, they wanted to know. When I got to uh, Detroit, they, I don't know. I don't have no answer for you. That's, that's true. So what would be some advice for some of the prospects that are getting ready to go into the NFL? Well, since I've analyzed my career now 30,000 times, um, <laughs> I, I, I will say uh, make as many plays as you can and live with that. You know, like go play the game that got you there and and have absolutely no regrets you know if you if you're gonna go try to intercept the pass lay out for it if you go try to intercept it lay out for it ain't what what are you like what are you waiting on you know to take every opportunity you get and just and rest easy if you if you get one chance to play in a game and you bite on a double move bro go for it full speed like i, I just go play ball a way that you don't have any regrets about what happened afterward you're not thinking back i should have did this should have did that go do what you felt you should have I've, I've noticed that a lot more guys who are able to just go be themselves have better careers. A hundred percent. When they know themselves, right, where, where, where everything fits and it's like, yes. oh, this is who I am. And like you said, dare to be great. And there's a level of confidence that comes with that fear of daring to be great. Like before you jump a curl, there's a feeling of fear. Like this yes. might be a double move, right? Yeah, like, are you turning like every move before you make a play is like, there's a little bit of fear. We used to talk about corners having a level of effort level, right? Or a player just having an effort level where it's just like, that comes to that point where it's like, I got to go or I wait. Cause that's between making a p interception for a pick six, a normal interception, a bre pass breakup, a completion bro, versus a completion small, spin out between 10 million. That's a 15 million. I'm trying. It's the difference between 10 million. I was trying to help you out with the the the, the youth and the and the skill development. So that's yeah, what we're yeah. going to jump in. <laughs> so that's what we're going to jump into now, man. So congratulations to we got the coach here, man, at the FBU uh, eighth grade. Or is it an age and under? Eighth grade, seventh grade, eighth. sixth grade, and they have a fifth grade one. Seven, okay, eighth grade national champions, mm -hmm. man, in the skill development FBU league. These guys won it all. You got some like talented players, and I, we obviously on this podcast we talk about just the career development aspect, the different uh, recruiting transition points, and earlier and earlier now we're talking about getting recruited in the high school, and a lot of the early identification process starts in the seventh and eighth grade, you know, time frame. So what you're doing that's a little different than other places, whether you're just running plays or being sophisticated in your approach of football, but it's like a really uh, skill-based approach at that level. Can you talk to me a little bit why you want to, why is that something that you wanted to well, this is the, focus this on? Is the, this is the age right here where um, their bodies are growing and they're kind of starting to develop in ways and they need just fine tuning. Like a lot of, 
a lot of what they do as kids is about winning. And you're going to do a lot of weird stuff to win a game at the youth level. But when these guys start getting to this point to where they're being asked to play these different positions in middle school, there are certain things that they need to know. Like if they're a defensive lineman, they need to know how to use their hands. They need to know the correct stance. They don't need to be just getting up there doing whatever. If they're linebackers, they need to know how to disguise. They need to know how to uh, uh, um, scrape over the top and run. They need to know how to run through alleys. Like they're just that terminology. Like if, if not, what else are you get, you know, teaching these kids at this time? I've seen middle school games. I know that it's, it's so like, basic that they can get this stuff in and it's just not being done and every kid plays middle school regardless if they play select or not um so there's just a window of opportunity to just just bombard them with information that i think will help them skip a lot of nonsense that they will absolutely be given while in high school if you can get it into them now that's a that's a very that's a very true point, right? You go to a lot of high school games and you can see whether it's a corner playing his his butt completely to the inside or just playing wild wild wild. Well, we got techniques free safeties just at a, seven yards out here. Free safeties in the middle of the field at seven yards. I have never seen anything the deep middle safeties at seven right. yards. But this is what I'm saying, where there's a level to skill development or just the X's and O's of football that lacks at that level at seventh, eighth grade, or just, I mean, I'll say high school and below, right? Where a lot of times you're leaning on those athletic kids or like that special player. And then you have some places that have full blown programs. But I think what you're doing that's very innovative is like giving these guys true fundamental skills, like in football, right? We talk about DB slam and slam squatting and uh, doing all these different things that I'm like, Oh, I didn't do that. So I got to the NFL and I'm like legit. Like I was just pressing people in college just off of athletic ability. Right. I'm just pressing. I mean, until I got to the league and coach Miles, shout out to coach Miles and uh, coach Terrell Austin, who spent some, he's the D coordinator now at, and with the Steelers, but I spent some time with him for my pre-draft process, just getting used to backpedaling playing square because at Penn state we played single high and I was shuffling. I was sideways shuffling like Asante Samuel. So it was, it was just something a different technique to learn, right? But it was something. That Is that I, how you still, felt about it? Did you just did you view it as just a different technique to learn? It was just a new technique to learn. I felt I felt more comfortable learning a technique. Like even like in high school, like I, I played running back, and in high school I was taught we ran zone, and we, they put the zone package in in my in my living room. So angles of the thing oh, if the if the nose tackle run at the bubble if he does this we bounce this way so like i played more like a technician from like even a high school running back and then in that i found my ways to kind of do what i wanted to do so i had like fundamental understanding okay like we press the tackle do this we're reading this and so coming to the corner it was just like cover people cover cover so i didn't like so when i did start like messing up whether it's like spread eagle and different things of that nature i never had a foundation but i understood defensive structure and stuff like that because our the coordinator was our corner coach at Penn State but that's a different story yeah that's cheap that's cheap <laughs> but it was more so understanding the full spectrum of everything yeah. but still not getting down to the we're talking about the actual technique skill development that you're talking about a lot of times it's taken for granted with younger athletic kids in football right is in basketball you got to know how to dribble shoot to to be decent at one to go somewhere in football you really 
you can develop skill in college and you'll get an opportunity. But what you're doing is you're giving these guys some tools and skills, regardless of how they develop athletically to set themselves up to get that opportunity to go to college. Because now we're playing with like little, little thin layers of separation. When we're talking about guys getting scholarships, going here, NIL transfer, all that different stuff. So and you got a ball now, like you got to be an absolute baller. Now you can't be no half baller. They trying to sign already made people. Now, this is what they're doing. they signing already-made people that can come in. If, if your name not Caleb Downs or something like that, like they don't – they go go get somebody out the transfer portal. So you better have something else now besides speed and size. You better have a game to go with it. And what you're, like that skill development brings a level of trust to coaches. We talk about skills and fundamentals. It's like, oh, I know he knows exactly how to play, knows exactly what he's going to do or exactly where he's going to be. I mean, it gives you a leg up. I mean, I think football is about angles, numbers, and, you know, angles, numbers, and uh, and speed at that point. Because, <laughs> yeah, so they, they continue to stay on the point of just that development phase in seventh, eighth grade. Because like you're saying, you're getting ready to go into ninth grade. Now that the business is coming and circling down, what are you seeing some of the main hurdles that some of the athletes are having at that time frame? They don't talk. In? They don't talk enough. So I'm, I'm a big advocate about talking. Um, something that's super funny to me. That like communicating on the field? Yes. Um, so, so it's super funny to me if you were to actually go to like a younger kid's game, like 10 years old. Say you go to a little 10-year-old game. And if you was on defense and you just start yelling out, it's going to be a toss. It's going to be a dive. On defense, if you're a linebacker and you just start saying that, them kids look at you. Like, why you keep calling our plays out? <laughs> like, you could just say it's going to be a pass. You could say everything you wanted to, um, and they just go look at you weird. And it, it, it's just, it's the community, it's the the reminding the, the your teammates about, like, what type of situations you can be. I, I don't know. The linemen don't talk. Linemen should never not be talking. Like, what else are they doing, even as kids? Just blocking straight? No, this is, a, that's important because, like, I, I... I just think about the time where all these critical things, like when I felt like they were important, right? Like whether it's talking, I don't think I started talking a lot until I got to the league, right? Like I'm running across, I'm just screaming out stuff. And then it started realizing like, oh, I'm just saying stuff. And I'm realizing, and, oh, we got cut split. Oh, like, watch this crosser, watch this. So like the fact that you're even getting like younger seventh and eighth graders football acumen to kind of process and do those different things at a younger age is important because I mean, my daughter plays tennis now and you see like when we are talking about how a match goes or just different strategy, other sports, there is a strategy and technical development that goes into that process. And sometimes that lacks in football and it's just kind of focused on like the toughness part, right? Like, Oh, I gotta be tough. Gotta lift these weights. Gotta do this. But like the actual skills that come along with football. So as you guys are doing that, have you seen, um, have you seen any pushback? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I get pushback from coaches. Interesting. What is the pushback from coaches? I'm doing too much. Huh. They too young for that. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So they go so, get so pushback are, are, are me they, after that. So are these are these coaches that played at a higher level or no? Uh, I think it's coaches that have won just in what I'm doing. They have won around the realm that I'm in. So they're right. And I get that. But when it comes to X's and O's and the black and whites of football, 
what I'm saying go kind of be right too. And I want you just to hear me like I'm hearing you. I'm going to respect what you've done because you've won here and I'm new because I'm still new. I'm the new guy. But bro, I come in pushing it all the time. I push, bro. I push all limits. I push all limits. And I don't, I don't hold back to anybody. Like I think if you coaching, if this, I, I'm, I came through this as a youth kid through youth sports and made it. I want this to be right if we go continue to do this. And do you feel like it's because that skill development and these technical aspects on the field are things that kind of stopped you from reaching where you wanted to reach? Or like, is this something like what makes you, what makes you go so hard on just the skill development and just the football IQ aspect at this age for football? I know what I can get in right here. Um, I can get this in before they're cocky and arrogant, before they think they're good. I can give them some stuff right here that can last them. If I'm if, if I'm detailed enough with what I'm doing and my approach, and I hit on certain things with each kid, and bro, I'm, you know, I I take notes on kids, I text these kids, I call these kids. Like I called a quarter. Me and the quarterback had a conversation for about an hour the day before the championship and the semifinal game. Uh, but that was my kid from two years ago, you know, um, with the team that we had. But I'll do anything to just make sure they get it. Like, if, if they don't leave with the complete understanding of what you're trying to get in, it, you know, they, they can't grow. They can't grow until they can understand what you're trying to put in, and then we can go to the next thing. Um, but do you do you realize this that in the league they gave they gave everything to us five different ways, walk through, jog through, practice, notes, film. Five different ways. So everybody, however you got the information, you could get it. If we don't do that, how much harder is it going to be to do that with kids? But give it to them all these type of different ways so they can have a chance to understand it so they can grow. And give them the, because <clears throat> I, I love that you're saying that because and you're giving them the building blocks to learn how to take in that information. Yes. Right? Like how to take in the different ways of taking in the plays or showing a different con conceptual thinking before you get into high school or before different things happen just throughout your football journey or your athletic journey. Because <clears throat> you, you're hitting on something that I think is really important that I'm, I try to do I mean, we're trying to do here at Blue Chip Academy. We talk about career paths and what guys are doing. We kind of relate it back to um, the recruiting process. And everybody's like, well, why are you starting high school? We're talking about the league and going to get a job. And I'm just, and I just, from even my per, my personal journey, I'm hearing from you is that there was an aspect of once you make that college decision, there's very little development from there to the end of your career based on how intense everything is in college, how intense everything is getting ready for a league, how intense everything is when you get to like, like at that point, you're trying to play catch up. So what you're trying right. to do is get a head start before you get to college. Yes. So you're ahead of the curve. So you can at least be, be a, still ahead of the curve when you're getting to the point of transitioning out of football or just making that second contract, going to the league, wherever your end journey is that this football or this sports ecosystem brings you. A lot of times that has to be implemented and, and kind of seeded into you at that ninth, eighth, ninth, tenth, like high school area or age range, right? So For sure. Dude, I've, I have paid 12-year-old quarterbacks. This is not a lie. I have paid 12-year-old Don't, don't break any NCAA. Be sorry you say pay anybody. Don't, don't break any NCAA rules. You pay, don't be paying anybody. Bro, you know, 12 it's NIL. 
It was a 12-year-old <laughs> kid. I paid him because he went against his coach's wishes in the game and made a quarterback decision to throw backside on three by one. You're playing seven on seven. Like if you draw, if you're if you're coaching seven on seven and you still telling your kid where to throw the ball, something's absolutely wrong. The kid then came up to me after the game and said, "I'm not the coach of the team. I just knew the kid. I'm not the coach of the team." He said, "Hey, I I, I did it. He told me to throw it over here, and I threw it to the backside one on one. I asked him what happened because he was smiling. He said we scored a touchdown. I said, "What did your coach say to you?" He said, "Good job. That was a great decision by me." That's what, but that's what I was. That's what I, I was to referring to. I entice him by paying him to do that. But, but it, you, <laughs> that's what I was talking about. Everybody pops was like, "Yeah, the coach say do this," but like, look, bro, do that in the game. Just do that in the joint because when you score, he's gonna say, "Good job, bro." Like, <laughs> good job. You ever see that that Bill Belichick joint where uh, not Bill Belichick, uh, Bill? What's the old? Old Ravens coach when uh, Ed Reed makes an interception, he's like, "Get down, Ed! Get down, Ed!" He's yes. like, "Go, Ed! Go, yes, Ed! Go!" Yes, yes. <laughs> but that's like, but I really believe, man, that's so critical in just talent management or just talent acquisition in, in general. Because like, there's a level of bias of what you've seen, what you've been exposed to, where people have had pitfalls, and I think we all try to come from like our different areas of where the game affected us or where we can see can mend some of the holes that or just speed up the process for some of the guys that are coming through. So before we jump off, man, most influential coach of your career or teammate. Oh, okay. I got, I got an interesting one for you with the teammate, not even my teammate, but, um, alumni from my school. I got a reason why though. Um, but I'm gonna give you the, you asked me for the coach, Kevin Coyle slash Mike Zimmer. Okay. Mike Why Zimmer was the first person that took me by myself and said, this is how you press. That was my fourth year in the NFL. He said, when I look at you, the way you move your feet, this is how you press. And he took me alongside the defensive coordinator at the time for the Cincinnati Bengals, took me along to myself while the DBs were doing some other stuff. And he just worked with me and he put me in a position to where I was instantly comfortable, bro. It took 10 minutes. I now teach children to press the same way. Like, <laughs> that, that Mike was, Zimmer taught you how to teach. It was, it was, it was um, no, and, and Daryl Green is the other coach. Daryl Green is the other coach. I spent two years with him in the summer. Um, you don't get Coach Wade without Daryl Green, for sure. That's what's up. That's what's up. Uh, player, teammate, no lie to you, bro. Peyton Manning. All right, and the reason I'm saying it is Peyton Manning had me work out with him at Tennessee one time. Peyton Manning showed me that day I was never going to be a Hall of Famer. <laughs> you gotta, you gotta explain what you mean. <laughs> what, 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 what he do? How that? How that happen? He want to work out. I remind him of Mar Harris. I'm cute like Marvin Harrison size, right? So he wants me to meet him in the facility at two o'clock. I'm geeked. Bro, I'm leaving class, like, you know, this is off season. I'm out of class. Like, I ain't going back to class. I got to go work out with Peyton. They get it. I'm serious. It's Peyton in town. When Peyton's in town, the school shuts down. Um, I go in the I go, I, I put my stuff on. I get there at 2. He been in here for an hour already. He in drenching sweat, bro. Ain't nobody in here but him and the equipment manager who's tossing them snaps. When I get in here in this hour after he's drenching in sweat, 
He's got me running routes that I don't even know exist because I'm a freshman and he is Peyton Manning in the NFL. So I'm going to give you one of the routes he gave me and leave you with how the rest of the day went. He wanted a stutter and go comeback post. He's telling me a stutter and go comeback at 18 and then break to the post. I got to get across this cover two safety's face. I don't even really know what he's talking about. But as I'm watching him do this, and I've seen him a couple times, he is back there dodging four, five tacklers. Ain't nobody coming at him, Justin Kane. Nobody's coming. He is scooting up in the pocket. He's dropping back. He's dodging. I mean, he is he's throwing ducks because he can't get his feet set. Ain't nobody coming. He's cussed me out on this stutter go comeback at 18. Post because I didn't get across the field fast enough. He threw the ball to the other hash, bro. I'm on the right. He threw the back. I'm not right. I didn't get over there. I, I knew. So after I was done for my two hours, he told me he was going to meet me at the bar after he got a, finished with his last hour. I knew, bro. I knew. Like, I couldn't go no more. I couldn't run no more stutter go comebacks at, at post routes, dog. You can only run so many of them joints. It's like, oh, okay. I, I, I see he got a little bit of something different. So it, the, 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 his, everything was a game. Everything. Every, from the way you jogged on the field, from the way you drank your water, from the way you got to play from him to went to go line up, everything was a game. If you did that and you wasn't checking with the refs, it wasn't in sync with him. Like, everything was a game, dog. It was insane. But it showed me what it looked like if you wanted to be great. It's, it's, like, it's pretty insightful to hear other players talk about, okay, this guy has something that I thought I had or I thought I wanted, but maybe it's like ticking a little different. Because like I had that a moment in the league, and uh, it's funny because it was with Revis. It was with uh, D. Reeve. Really? The Reeve, yeah. We, I was like just at a, at a parking lot one time. Me and my little cousin was chilling. He saw Reeve coming out the club. He was just, I mean, you know, in the league. Yeah. Chilling. You got the crib. See him, we just started kicking it, and – you know, he's talking, he's like, man, you know, my freshman, my rookie year, I had my toes, so I'm, like, doing a lot of scouting. So that's when Namdi was balling, right? And so, like, so he had the list of different DBs. You know, we watching guys, watching all these casts, and Reed started talking about, you know, I'm the – he had a ball – he balled out that year. It was his, his rookie year. But, yeah, he did. And it was like, man, I'm the best I'm the best corner in the league. I mean, this is, like, 3 o'clock in the morning. There's, like, 3 or 4. I mean, it's not, like, a big crowd. It's just us. Okay. I'm the best corner in the league. And I was like, what? I'm like, I was like, you probably like top 10. I'm like saying it's the Reeves. This is before he's the Reeves Island, right? So I'm before the island, like, yo. Got, before the island, this is before, this is before, I'll be like, he's from the crib. I mean, this is my, this is my yeah, man. So like, it's nothing for me that I felt comfortable saying it. Yeah. So it was, <laughs> so it was like, you know, he's like, nah, man. Like, you know, I, it's this, it's this. I didn't do this. I'm going to be like, I'm going to do this. And it was like the level of him believing it, I was yeah. like, I'm not even arguing with him. I'm arguing with myself. <laughs> I was like, I was like, and I started thinking, I'm like, Justin, do you believe in yourself like this? I was like, damn. I was like, I don't think I do. Like, I, this, I had to be like real with my, I had to be complete. He was saying, he went on like a long soliloquy. He was talking about stars and like, there's only one star. You got to be able to do different stuff and like how you believe. I mean, he, he gave like a master class in his parking wow. lot, bro, after the club. Yeah, yeah, and I was just like. obsessed about it. Bro, and I was thinking like, damn, I don't, 
I don't, am I my, am I, I <laughs> do I believe? And I was like, <laughs> Straight up. But then that next year, the next year they named Manhattan Allen after him. So shout out to him going to the Jets. Shout out to Reed, yo. You know what I mean? No, that, yo, he really uh, was that guy. I have no, I have no explanation as to how he did what he did. I have none. When people ask me like, what, what, what was it about? I, I don't, I don't know. He just wanted it bad. I have no explanation. He was just great. He he put so he put that one year, that one year he put on film. He, I don't think like the the common fan will ever realize what type of artwork he put on film in terms of play by play covering a receiver all over the field. Like if the quarterback threw it or if he didn't throw it. Like that year when they Cheerio. named that, named that island, I don't think there was a play where a receiver was open all season. <laughs> Man, on any route, bro, like on anything, like I've never seen anything like that. Cause you know, you watch the all twenty-two film in the, in the defensive room; it's a different look. Yeah, for when sure. You see it, like every... shout out to Reed, man, Hall of Fame, Hall of Fame, man. man. So, bro, I appreciate you jumping on, Wade, man. No a little problem, blast man. from the fine, past, yo. man. Like we said, dog, just making sure that everybody has a plan when they're going through, and this skill development, even in the football ecosystem, is important. And a lot of different transition points. Like Coach Wade said, I mean, make sure you take full advantage of it because there's no passion to be found playing small and selling for a life that is less than the one that you are capable of living. And that's what we're trying to, you know, mend here and just make sure that everybody has the skills and the different things that we ran into throughout this ecosystem that could have taken our, our careers to the next level or wish we would have known a little bit earlier and just set you up. So when you get ready to transition and go into a career or find that next passion that like Wade said, like guys that are like fully comfortable in themselves in the game and where it's fit and where it fits in your life, always have like the most success that we've seen. So make sure you guys organize this stuff and you guys check out LIG sports group and the branding and NI recruiting era workshop with LIG sports group, where we go through the different aspects of the new NIL recruiting ecosystem and the recruiting uh, tactics that are coming out and the opportunities, brand creation and curation and all that good stuff. You guys check it out. I have the links below. But again, Wade, appreciate you jumping on, bro. And no doubt, man. next time, man. Always. I'm here, homie. Always, always, man. Good luck in the offseason getting you. these guys right. No doubt. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Blue Chip Academy. To help navigate the recruiting waters, LIG Sports Group put together a Blue Chip Recruiting Checklist. Download your checklist at LIGsports.com Blue Chip Academy to ensure you're making informed decisions through this process. Hit subscribe and check out the LIG Sports Group Football Ops Recruiting YouTube channel, where we'll talk about the recruiting and other critical points in the football ecosystem. If you're feeling stressed, confused, or just want help putting together a blue chip blueprint for you and your son, don't hesitate to book a console call with me at LIGsports.com backslash Blue Chip Academy. Remember, everyone has a different journey. Keep sharpening and remember that you can only go to one school. Just make sure that you have your blue chip blueprint together and execute it. Life is good.